Welcome to C-Suite Radio. The Open Mic Podcast is brought to you by the Cheap Seat Entertainment Network. Holy heartbeat! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. Happy Sunday. Welcome into the weekend edition of the Open Mic Podcast. It's great to be here coming at you live, dropping bombs on you at the Bay Area Studios. In the studio on the line, we have Leon Accord. He is the author of a book, Sub-Lebrity, The Queer Life of a Showbiz Footnote. He is also the creator, writer, and star of Old Dogs and New Tricks, which can currently be seen on Amazon Prime Streaming. There are three amazing seasons of that. If you haven't read the book or seen the show, you absolutely have have to. We actually recorded this about two months ago while the pandemic was still in its height and we were still all on lockdown. And so we talk a little bit about that. But I mean, technically speaking, we still are on lockdown. In any case, Leon is a pure pleasure. He is a great friend. And I'm excited for you to enjoy this beautiful interview with Leon. Leon, welcome into the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Brett. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, Leon Accord, I am excited to talk to you for several reasons. I have known about you for a while. And then when I found out that we had a mutual friend yes. uh, who is also my landlord, uh, Kathleen. <laughs> so shout out to Kathleen. I know she's going hey, to uh, listen to this later. <laughs> but uh, I didn't realize that you knew each other. So this makes it doubly exciting uh, because I know anyone who is a friend of Kathleen's is a friend of mine. So thanks for being here. Oh, and, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you've done a lot of different things, but we're here to talk about your book. Now, the book has been out for a while, but you are just getting ready to release the paper copy of it. And the title of the book is Sub-Liberty. Uh, and... Uh, it is just fantastic. A great book. Oh, thank you. Now, you've had the book out for a while and you're getting ready to release it on paperback, right? So what is kind of the process between when you released it digitally and now it's going to paper book, paperback? Is there is there a process to that or are you just kind of now getting to a place where you can release it that way? Well, ordinarily, um, <clears throat> they kind of come out simultaneously. I mean, okay. usually like an ebook will come out a few days before a paperback just so they can get some reviews ahead of time before people start shopping for the book. But, um, you know, because we were all locked down, the book has basically been done since for a few months before the uh, lockdown. And once it happened, uh, my husband and I, Lawrence, were like debating about, well, should we just put it on a shelf for a while? And that was, we thought, yeah, I mean, we're not even going to, you know, try to go further with it at this point with everything going on in the world. But then after about a week of sitting at home and reading everything that I had, <laughs> cleaning every closet, and I realized, you know, I have all this time on my hands. The book is more or less done after one last polish. It would be pretty easy to get the ebook up and accessible for people. It'd be something people could read without going to a bookstore or ordering from a warehouse or overtaxing already overworked delivery people. So we thought, well, yeah, you know, let's go ahead and get that out. And then um, just so people have something to read while we're all locked down. Uh, that was in uh, April 21st when we 
release the ebook. It seems like a year ago. It's only I know. A, time has just kind of stood still. Oh my now, God. talking about the lockdown, I've been asking all my guests this question. How are you and your husband handling this? Are you getting on each other's nerves? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you're driving each other. Your quarantine member is now becoming yeah. your quarantine enemy. I mean, <laughs> we're all in the same state, so we're kind of dealing with this as well because you're in California, right? Yes, yes. Um, how are you managing the lockdown? Like, how is that affecting you guys? Because uh, we're now, what, almost two and a half months in. Two and a half months. And now saying possibly three more to go. Um, we're getting on each other's nerves a little bit. But I have to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky to be married to, to the guy I'm married to. Because for the most part, we're pretty simpatico. And um, uh, I'd say about 50% of the time, we're actually having a lot of fun. We're both <laughs> financially, you know, like this. but. Sure. Uh, the knowledge that, you know, pretty much everybody else is too, that it's something very comforting in that. And for some reason, I don't know, it's allowing us to kind of like breathe while all this is happening. Um, but we do get on each other's nerves. Um, I, I'm so craving to go out to breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, to my benefit, though, you know, I grew up on a farm, you know, I'm saying yeah. the book, um, like a mile away from our nearest neighbor. I didn't have like neighborhood kids I hung out with. So I grew up with books and living in my own imagination. So it's probably an easier adjustment for me than it is for a lot of people. I would agree with you. You know, again, Kathleen, our mutual friend, she is used to being home and working from home. And I was not. Now, I was recently furloughed because of all of this. And, mm. and fortunately, things have worked out okay financially, not to oh, follow off on a, on a rabbit trail. But uh, yeah, it's been a little bit crazy. Now, let's dive into the book, Sub-Liberty, The Queer Life of a Showbiz Footnote. Now, I will say, I think the title is hilarious, but I personally find you more than a celebrity. I mean, I would consider you to be a celebrity because when I Google you, you come up in a million searches. So you are yeah. pretty famous <laughs> in my opinion. And I think a lot of that is due in part to a couple years ago with the whole Susan Olsen thing. Yeah. And, and we don't really have to focus on that unless you feel it's important. But I want to talk about the book because I feel like it gives the reader a great insight to what the life of somebody who wanted to be an actor or who is an actor and maybe has kind of taken a different path. And starting from your roots, you grew up in Indiana. So you grew up in a in a, a rural town. I grew up in the Midwest myself, Kansas. So oh. I feel like you and I can relate on certain levels. But let's talk about growing up a little bit. And you talk about this in the book. You share a lot of photos. It's a very personal journey for you that you have allowed us to be a part of. But Growing up, you talk about that. What was life like for you, Leon, growing up? Did you have any aspirations to to be in this world of acting and writing and producing? Or what was your home life like? How did you kind of get from there to maybe that first step of becoming who you are as a person, as an actor and that sort of thing? My home life was pretty, as home lives go, was pretty cool. To my parents' credit, they kind of had this attitude that if, if, I was, if I was up to watching something on TV, they'd let me watch it. It. They they didn't really kind of. It's, I don't want to paint them in a negative 
light, but they didn't really monitor me all that much. Sure. And I was sort of, I mean, I read Valley of the Dolls when I think I was in fifth or sixth grade. I mean, I was really, oh, Wow, that's a pretty <laughs> hardcore book. Yeah, I was kind of um, very curious from a very early age. From a uh, very early on, I knew I wanted to do something that involved creating, you know, worlds and characters. And very early on, I thought I'd probably be a comic book writer. Because that was oh, like wow. my, my first obsession, really, before I hooked into TV. Um, and, you know, that was like, oh, and they get published in New York, and it's a big city. And that was also part of the appeal to escape, you know, the farm and, and go where the action is. And, but, and then I discovered TV and, and, and just became completely obsessed. And from watching that, I kind of made the shift to like, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to be Carol Burnett. That's, what I, that's who I wanted to be. Um, and, you know, did a lot of plays in high school and um, some community theater and nightclub stuff. And just uh, it, it it initially was just telling stories and creating characters, but it became very specific about um, still creating characters and telling stories, but more specific about being, you know, uh, in the performing arts as opposed to, you know, writing novels or almost a journalist, too. I, I flirted with that for a while, too. So you kind of had always just dipped your toe and had your interest in the arts and creativity. Yeah. Now, you're growing up in Indiana. Your parents were somewhat supportive of what you did. And I think a lot of us experienced that growing up. Now, my parents were kind of the same way, at least my mom. My parents were divorced, so she didn't really monitor the intake of things that we were a part of. But I always had the same kind of interest or creativity itch. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you and I can relate on that too, which I feel a great connection with you on that part. So you're doing all of this, you're growing up. And at what point did you decide to make the break and move for those who haven't read the book? That's why I'm asking to move to San Francisco or kind of go to the next level. And how supportive were your parents, uh, you know, when you decided to make the big leap? Excuse me. I moved to San Francisco in December of 84. And it was really, I mean, primarily, I'd always had the urge to, you know, move beyond. I lived in Indianapolis for a while, which at the time was like, oh, the big city. But then I realized <laughs> pretty quickly there were bigger cities. My mom said she always knew since I was little that I'd moved to either New York or, or California. But um, in the mid 80s, um, that's really <laughs> when AIDS was really kind of like blowing up news about AIDS. I mean, AIDS itself wasn't exploding in the Midwest quite yet, but the paranoia about it was, and it was a little frightening. So my boyfriend at the time and I just kind of like, you know, we, we keep talking about moving to California. Maybe, maybe now's the time to do it. So it was kind of, and I, it wasn't really career oriented because if, I guess I would have probably moved to LA or New York. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I love San Francisco. I love the myth of the city. I love the, um, the, the gay history of it. Um, it's just a gorgeous town. And so we, uh, that's, that's the place that was where we decided to escape to. And, um, boy, am I glad I did. Yeah. It's a very mystical city, honestly. Mm -hmm. And if you've never visited and you're listening, if, and when we're able to do that, I, I highly recommend you coming because you will not be disappointed on just as rich culture and that sort of thing. Now, you call yourself a celebrity, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, which is kind of the tagline of your book. Again, I find you to be more than that. Where does the name come from, and how did you decide upon that uh, as a self-moniker for yourself? Because I think it's great. I, there was a review of the web series I did, Old Dog New Tricks, kind of early on. Yeah. And um, it was actually a good review of the show, but there was a paragraph that was talking about me that kind of 
intimated that I was an egomaniac. In fact, how dare I write and create and act and produce. And uh, it, it referred to me as a sub hyphen lebrity, which I'm sure was not meant as a compliment. But uh, <laughs> at the time, I was a no lebrity. So I thought, I'm going to take it as a compliment. I, I'm going to embrace it. I mean, that may be as far as I get. So why not? I'm, and plus, you know, I've always been about taking the power of words back, like queer and, and the F word, and, you know, making them your own. So I you know, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to use that. You know, that, that wasn't my first choice. I had a couple other possible titles. One was, um, oh, God, uh, Confessions of a Rapidly Aging Former Pretty Boy. But that, <laughs> <laughs> that's too long of a title. So we kept it short with some sub Liberty. But I, you know, I had to be careful in interviews to pronounce that hyphen because I don't want people to think that I wrote a book called Celebrity because I'm not. <laughs> I am not. Thank you for saying I am, but no, no, no. Uh, well, I'm glad you take the compliment. <laughs> so the is book a- is fantastic. You, you get very personal and you are writing from this perspective of someone who has lived this extravagant life, in my opinion. You have several film credits and television credits to your name. And of course, your show on Amazon Prime as well. But why did you choose to write this book and this topic? What inspired you? And I know you probably get asked that a lot in interviews, but and I don't normally ask that question. But for this one, I'm very curious because I wouldn't describe it as a tell-all, but it kind of is a little bit from your point of view as far as like your experiences growing up, kind of being in this position of an openly gay man. And and some people don't necessarily share that part. It doesn't come out until Mm. a later part of their life. When they're successful. (laughs) Yeah, when you're successful. And then it's like, oh, by the way, or... Yeah. And that's a whole nother conversation, (laughs) to be honest with you. But (laughs) the big question for me is why now? Why did you decide to do this? Because I feel like you have created this piece of content that will stand the test of time and and hopefully encourage other people to maybe come to the place that you have come to as, as a person and as an author. And as a human being. Oh my God, you have to give me a minute to digest that. That was that was that was very nice. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Um, it was sort of a process. It started because a lot of my friends um, were either writing or had written books. Director Dan Oliverio, uh, an actress I had worked with who is now an actor, Quinn Fontaine, uh, wrote about his experience transitioning and and um, overcoming some personal demons. Andrew Nance has written an actor I've worked with several times in San Francisco has written a children's book. I, I know I'm leaving like three or four people off the list. Anyway, suffice it to say that everyone I knew was writing books except me. And I, I'd always kind of fantasized about it. I'd written a novel actually in my 20s and just locked it up because it was god awful. <laughs> so I just, after one day I was musing on Facebook, oh, maybe I should write a book. And I actually had a, a small uh, press publisher um, contact me and and say that you know after your run in with Cindy Brady there's probably a small market and <laughs> yeah <laughs> why don't you call our editors and we'll well, actually I offered to write a couple chapters a sample chapters and he's like no 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 call our editors and we'll just we'll we'll work it up into a, you know a book I can't do that thank you but no and I decided okay well you know. There's actually a publisher interested. And I was, okay, let's do it. It's a, it's worth it. The whole the whole process, you know, I, I I spent half the time thinking, who the hell cares? Who's who's gonna care? 
And um, it did kind of change when I originally started. I, I I was hoping to make it more like essays about adventures, sure. gay adventures in acting. Um, I love John Waters' um, published works. Fran Leibowitz is another inspiration. But I, I quickly realized I'm not as talented as those two people. And um, the more I worked on it, the more I really uh, was kind of compelled to do it just as a straightforward memoir with the, you know, the... The twist being that I'm a non-famous person writing a memoir like I'm a famous person. And it's kind of funny how, how other than the fact that I'm not famous, it's, it's other than that, they're not too different. I don't know. Wow. You tell me. You tell me. Does it read like a, a Hollywood memoir? Oh, I think it does. Absolutely. Like I see it envisioned even as like an audiobook or a one person show at some point. Like to me, that's just the creative side of my brain. So yeah, absolutely. It reads like a memoir. And again, that's why, you know, the counterintuitive perspective of my, my perception of you as a, as a celebrity, just because, I mean, you've, you've done all of these things and you've written this book and you've shared parts of your life that uh, m- maybe most people might not get to be a part of. And in the book, you also share some hate mail that you have received <laughs> over. Uh, and, but you know, Let's talk about that. Why did you choose to share that? Because in some cases, that might be something that somebody wants to hide, but you you bring it forward in your story and you talk about it. Why did you choose? I mean, is that the only piece that you received? Why did you choose to share that? And I guess the big question would be, how did you feel when you got it? And, and how were you able to turn that around? Well, the, the hate mail was the result of the, the run-in with Susan Olson, which we can talk about. I certainly didn't include all of it. I mean, most of the the mail I got in response to that whole brouhaha was um, pretty ugly. There were death threats and all sorts of stuff. Those I just reported to Facebook. And when you do that, they kind of disappear. But um, I had a, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, the message request folder on Facebook when people who aren't your friends send you messages and you have to go in and I got, a, <laughs> yeah, I got, I got about three to 500 messages in that folder within a week. And um, I started to read them all and then quickly saw, oh my God, oh my God. Um, the minute I opened them, whether they're positive or negative. Then writing the book and writing about the experience of that whole, I call it the Brady debacle, that whole crazy week where I kind of found myself, I, I, you know, I wasn't the trending topic, but my involvement with her was. I felt like I had to include some of that because for me, to personalize it for me, that was much of the whole experience was just being constantly bombarded by these messages and the tweets and the, oh gosh, I didn't even include the tweets. Oh, whoops. Um, yeah, that to me, that was a huge part of the experience was just the hailstorm of, of hate mail. So I felt like, you know, let's just, let's just sample it and, and let's use the ones that are either funny or just so stupid or just so poorly written that they're funny. And, um, I've always had a pretty thick shell, thank God, when it comes to um, bullies and bashers. So, and you know, I didn't respond to any of them at the time because it was undignified. I thought, okay, well, let's let's share some and let's let's respond to them as well. So that was, <laughs> that was the whole reason I put that in. I hope Very it's cool. Is it fun? I mean, I. I did oh, a, I mean, sure. I, I absolutely like. Obviously, I'm in the business of podcasting, pop culture, celebrities. That's my world, and I have learned to embrace it um, as a person. And as I consider myself to be a journalist on some level, and uh, to a degree, a creative. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you can trace that back to its originality and why it's there, 
it makes perfect sense that you would share it. And we will talk about that in just a moment. Uh, obviously, I don't want to bury the headline there, but we, the we book, actually, it's um, fantastic. Was, uh, it's, it's a short read. I was uh, recording a uh, what I call an almost live reading of the chapter. I've been doing a few of those on Facebook just to, you know, share with, with people at home. And um, I was getting ready to, to record that chapter. And Lawrence and I were like, oh my God, this chapter could get really ugly and really hateful and really a downer. You know, how are you going to... And so I um, I actually recruited um, some of my favorite actors and friends like Mo Gaffney and uh, Ray Bruzo and the cast from Old Dogs and New Tricks. And they actually read the hate, the hate mail, which <laughs> they did a great job. So again, Oh, that's funny. Mo Gaffney, uh, he's great. Oh my God. Uh- hysterical she's the funniest woman on the earth yeah well that's a that's a dream guest uh so we'll put that out into the universe there Mm, Uh, maybe i can hook you up hey oh god that would be an honor so in any case you've written this book you've shared very intimate parts of your life you've talked about your family growing up and you talk about so many different things, your experiences on your auditions and just kind of this world of an actor, a working actor, I would consider. You've just really given us the reader as a, a roadmap to your life, Leon, and led us into some very personal spaces. You've put yourself out there, I think, as an author. Sometimes I feel like when you're reading a book, you don't get the true side of a person. Uh, maybe it's just because they have people on their team saying, don't get too personal or don't give too much information. But I don't find I don't that to have, be the case. I don't have a team. so. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay. I mean, we don't need a team. I don't either. So uh, I digress on that point. But you've written this book. What would be some of the key takeaways or things that you hope that the reader will gain from reading this uh, work that you have created and, and and allowed us to be a part of a very special part of your life? Well, that's a good question, Brett. And that's it's something that I tried to keep, you know, on the top of my brain as I was writing it. I, I really hope readers come away from it inspired by, not well, inspired, that's, that's a word. I really hope they walk away from it realizing that you can be successful without it being attached to a lot of dollar signs. It's really mm-hmm. about, you know, if you pursue what you want to do, the act of doing it is, is very often reward enough. You know, I hope it, ins- I hope it inspires people to like DIY, you know, if you're done, because basically the, the whole last third of, well, actually most, probably most of my career has been like, I'm not getting offered to do this. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll produce my own one man show. Okay. I'm, I, which led to being offered work by other people. But I, I do find that like every seven years or so, I get bored or frustrated or and I decide, you know, okay, what can I do? How can I stir up the pot and I end up producing or creating something just to, to get the wheels going again? Well, what do you define as success, Leon? Success to me, I think, is, is feeling content. Um, there are different levels, I guess. I, I write about in the book, there was a period in San Francisco when I was shooting a horror film and doing a play at the same time, exhausted as hell, just completely just a, a zombie. And that was one of the happiest times of my life. I think being completely engaged by what you love doing as much as possible, that to me is, is that's success and that's happiness. Now, you know, if it comes with a paycheck, hooray, that's great. That's right. Fall. But um, I really feel for actors who get into it or influencers now as there are um, who get into it just for the money just for the recognition Mm -hmm. it seems like the the ass backwards pardon my french 
reason for getting into it. And, and don't get me wrong, most actors, and I, I, I'm guilty too, and you know this because you read the book, we get into it initially thinking, ooh, we want to be stars. We want to have our own TV show or star in movies and you know, be on magazine covers and blah, 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 blah. And as you study the art of acting and realize that it is indeed an art, as well as a craft, something shifts and that uh, your priority, your motivation becomes telling truth and, and being honest as a performer and not about, oh, you know, getting your star on the walk of fame or your... And I feel like that if you do go into it for the money and the recognition, then it could be very boring for you and almost put you to a place where you burn out maybe because that may never come or if it does for a very long time you know mm-hmm. i believe that if what you put into something will grow and if you're putting in effort and you're putting in the hard work to get to a certain place i think that's okay because you know there's everybody is talented but what's going to separate you from the talented people is the hard work I think that you put in alongside of that. Would you agree to that? Because I feel that to be true. I actually, you know, I didn't necessarily always feel this way, but now I'm, I'm so grateful for the fact that I wasn't a leading man type, you know, that I was one of my first reviews called me quirky and intense. And now that's odd. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I really feel for these actors who get into it at 18 or 19, because their whole life, they're told, oh, you're so good looking. And oh, you're so, you know, Joan Collins has a great line about, you know, being born beautiful. is like being born rich and watching your fortune slowly dissipate. Uh, There's something to be said about having to rely on other skills and talents besides just how you look, because I feel, you know, looks don't last. And you've got to sooner or later have something else to back it up with, or you're either going to stop working or you're going to be like one of those pathetic, you know, like a one-hit wonder who just keeps like beating the, you know, trying to be the same thing that you were 10, sure. 10 years ago. You got you right. to evolve. I mean, eventually we all have a great face for radio, right? So uh, <laughs> that's what people tell me all the time. I'm developing a great face for writing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good people. one. You have a great you have a great face for writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the ultimate backhanded comment that you could ever give to somebody. Exactly. Well, the book is fantastic and we will put the link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. And it's available on Amazon right now. You can order it along with your show Old Dogs New Tricks, which is great. And the last question I want to talk about of course is the whole interaction with Susan Olson and I think mm. I mean, all you have to do is Google it and you can find out. And we don't have to recount it all or relive it all because I feel like you've probably talked about it a million times over. But I guess the question I would ask you about that is, number one, when that all went down and you called her out, and so people know she was making disparaging comments, anti-gay comments on a radio program. Was it a podcast, Two Chicks Talking Politics, something like that? And you caught wind of it, right, essentially, and commented on it. And one thing led to another, and it became literally a national news focus. International. I got things from Australia and London. Yeah, it's crazy. Let me um, clarify. Actually, I was a guest on the show. Okay, Um, that's right. You were a guest. Yeah, I know that pisses her off. I feel horrible that I keep saying Cindy instead of 
Susan Olson and Sheena Susan Metal. Olson. Well, Susan yeah. Olson. Well, she won't Olson. listen to this. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> no. And uh, her co-host, Sheena Metal, who's a lovely woman, and uh, a liberal. Um, I went on their show. Um, it was after the election, but before the inauguration in 2016. And um, she didn't use any of the F word or any of that stuff during the show. The, the show was actually her just saying things like you can't be a liberal and a patriot and that all Muslims want to kill all Americans. Wow. Uh, it, um, it just went on and on. I should, I should, I, I have the show saved on my iTunes. I should do a transcript. <laughs> Kurt Bottom says we should act it out. Anyway, um, <laughs> a mystery after, science theater kind of I thing. Know. He said, get, some, get, get some actress who can do a Cindy lisp and see, can she can read it like Cindy from the Brady Bunch? No, 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 no. Uh, although it would be funny. But anyway, I did the show. After the show, I felt horribly guilty, like I was helping justify or normalize this whole craziness that we find ourselves in. So um, I posted a message to the radio station saying that it, you know, it was irresponsible to let someone host a show and, and promote such bullshit um, information. And um, she responded by sending me a personal message, calling me the F word and the C word and the P word and uh, just all of the words. And All uh, the words my five-year-old is not allowed to say for those listening. Yeah, yeah. really say anyway. <laughs> so I just, I thought, you know, thanks, sweetie. You just, I because, you know, when I said that thing to the radio station, I never, ever expected they would actually let her go. I just felt like I needed to speak my mind. Let it be known that, you know, I, I, I wasn't okay with this. So when she sent me that, I thought, well, thank you. I did a screen capture and I posted it on Facebook. And, you know, I knew it would get some attention from the station, from her. It, and it just exploded within like three to four days. It was like uh, the number one trending topic on Yahoo and Google. Uh, and the hate mail started. And um, it was just... The craziest week of my life. You know, I, I again, I'm a, a jobbing actor. To me, it's about work. It's not about fame. Right. And and, and then, you know, to, to, to ha suddenly have all that media attention, you really have to... I can see how some people get sucked into... Uh, I think of Cato Kalin as an example. People who sort of like kind of capitalize off of uh, notoriety. And sure. I, uh, and I was tempted, but I had to sit myself down and say, no, this isn't something that you did that you're proud of. This is something that, I mean, well, I mean, I'm proud I s stood up and spoke out, but it wasn't, it was scandal, not success. So it wasn't something I necessarily wanted to promote. But um, I felt I had to write about it in the book because everyone asks me about it. And, yeah, uh, I mean, that's probably something you get asked by interviewers yeah. quite often. And thanks again for doing that. But big question it's been a few years since that happened. Mm. Biggest lesson learned from that experience. If that were to happen again today, let's say with somebody else, would you do anything differently? Would you have responded differently? Or would you have responded the same? <laughs> Probably not. I have to be honest. Probably not. I mean, if all the circumstances were the same. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing. I just, I, God bless my mom and dad. They just raised me to speak my mind and, and mm -hmm. truth to power and also not to let anyone bull, uh, bully me. So, uh, right. Yeah. I, I probably would do it exactly the same way. <laughs> Maybe this time I would capitalize on it. And, and do <laughs> Maybe the you would just write the success. <laughs> you know, because now I have a book to promote. I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty That's proud hilarious. Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as bad press. My niece, actually, in fact, <laughs> when about two weeks Wonderful. after it happened, 
she um, sent me a message saying, wow, I'm so impressed you weren't bitchy or catty at all because she knows how I can be. So yeah, I'm pretty proud of how I handle Hats off to you. You're a wonderful human being. Last question as we wrap up here. We're in this quarantine. Mm. What do you think life will look like when this is all technically over? Um, all politics aside, what the government is or isn't telling us, I'm just interested in Leon Accord's perspective. How do you feel like Will there be a new normal? Will things be back to normal? Like we're kind of in the middle towards the end of this. Maybe we're done. Maybe we're not. How do you feel like life will be once we get past all of this? You know, I don't think anyone can really accurately predict because in addition to the science and the virus and the medicine, there's also the psychological. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm thinking about, do I really want to be acting on a stage where I have 99 to 300 people breathing in my direction? Yesterday, I just saw a news clip where a scientist said, avoid loud rooms. And the, um, the news anchor was like, how is that unsafe? If you've ever watched, especially if you've been in the front row, Stage actors spit a lot because no spittle everywhere. Musicals, especially. Oh my god, especially musicals. And so, yeah, do I want to necessarily be spitting on? You know, it makes like a Gallagher concert. It's horrible. (laughs) Right, I don't want to be that watermelon. It it makes you think of all these different things that never even crossed minds before. I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan. I am dying to see Wonder Woman 1984. Do I really want to sit in a movie theater though? Even if some, you know, it's every other row. My my parents went back to church Sunday for the first time in Indiana, and uh, you know they were very very careful, but it made me apoplectic. It's I think it's going to take a long time to kind of shake off the fear, even if we do figure out how to eat with plexiglass between us. And and I think there's no rush. We need to, you know, I'm not going to try to. I'll, I'll try not to get political, but you know, we have to value human life. We have to. No, no, you're life. fine. You, you're there. There's no topic is off limits here on the podcast. Oh, okay, so okay, cool. That's a great answer. I agree with you, you know, in that regard, because I feel like I don't know how I would be. My kid and I were pass holders to Six Flags and we used to go all the time. And I was kind of sad about it. You know, ironically, I was watching an Adam Sandler movie, uh, Sandy Wexler, and he's at Six Flags, you know, uh, Magic Mountain. And the guests and the characters and and i was kind of like got a little sad leon because i was like man we might not be able to do that again for a really long time his Mm. mom and i were on agreement we we just might have to avoid all of that altogether um, for a while yeah even for a while because you know regardless of whether this is going to burn off or not we just might this might be it for a while and that's okay Well, Leon, you are a beautiful human being. This has been a a delightful conversation. Now, of course, how can people get your book? Where can they read about you and connect with you if they want in a positive way? Or in a negative way. Or in a negative way, however you want to approach Leon. (laughs) Actually, you know, instead of giving you a whole bunch of different links, I'll just give you my website, um, which is leonacord.com. There's only one C in Acord, so that's L-E-O-N-A-C-O-R-D.com. Go down to contact, and I've got links to Facebook and Twitter, uh, links to Amazon, uh, to the show. They're all there. So um, just to make it easy on everybody. Yes. Easy, and easy. the book is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, oh, Sub-Celebrity, Le- Sub- the queer life of a showbiz footnote. Leon, thank you for being a part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. I love being here. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. 
If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. Today's episode of the Open Mic Podcast is brought to you by Cheap Seat Entertainment. <laughs>